mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 2. I thought my microphone was off for some reason. It doesn't sound real loud up here. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 12, 2, 12 of John, as we go through John's account of the life of Jesus. Now, when we closed last week, we began Jesus's ministry. If you'll remember, we're on the third day. We're at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus turn water into wine. That's how we say it. But it's so amazing is that he didn't do anything. All he did was spoke. And this is what you want to see in, in this testimony that we're having from John of the grace of God is that all God did was spoke and he created the heavens and the earth. There's so much power in his words. Remember, there were six clay pots that were sitting there or stone pots. Uh, some texts say, they were empty vessels. And all Jesus did was spoke. He said, pour water into them. And then what did he say? He said, go dip it out and give it to the master of ceremonies. He didn't, you, we don't see any of the fermentation. We don't see any of the processes that it would take to make wine. But we have this new wine, or fresh might be what it's called, this wine that actually, even after the taste buds of the people at the wedding were all burnt up from the old wine, they could taste this new wine, and they was like, wow, nobody does this. They always put the good wine out first, and then they bring out the bad wine when people start to get a little bit uh, 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 tipsy. But you've saved the best for last, and the grace of God has been saved for last. But notice, there needs to be empty pots. There were six of them. Six is the number of man. They need to be empty vessels. We need to be empty and it's a picture, if you will, his first miracle at a wedding. He's going to do our final miracle at a wedding when we cross the finish line and we enter into the wedding supper of the Lamb. What an amazing thought that soon and very soon we're going to go home to be with the Lord and we're going to meet at the wedding supper of the Lamb and we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. But listen to me. There's a long road ahead of us. Some of us may be a day. Some of us may be a month. Some of us may be 20 years. I don't know. The, it's looking bleak out there in the world, but the church has never changed. The bride has never changed except on the inside. Think about it. Empty vessel. Fill it with water. It's the Holy Spirit. 
We're seeing in, in, in a wedding a picture of the gospel. When you come to Jesus empty, he can fill you with his spirit. What does he say in John 15, 5? I was thinking about this this morning. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, think about it. Fruit of the vine is grapes. What do we get out of grapes? We get the blood. We get, we get the juice of them that makes wine. So when you allow the Holy Spirit to abide in your empty vessel, you, you don't have to have any processes. It just comes out when you go ladle it out. But if you just hold it back, you know what it becomes? Sour grapes. You know, if you, just, if you don't go give it to anybody else, you don't make it yours, you don't own it, you don't have the intimacy of living with Jesus, and you just keep it, Nobody ever knows that it's new. Nobody ever knows that it's fresh. Nobody ever sees the grace of God if you don't become the witness in this grand courtroom that you're supposed to be. And I left out a verse I told you last week, and it's Matthew 9, 17. You can turn there with me if you'd like. I want to look at Matthew 9, 17 just for a moment, just to bring it to your attention because... There's much controversy in the church in our age of apostasy where we've uh, living out the book of Judges where there's no king in the land. So everybody does what's right in their own eyes. I am not going to read the whole text. I was going to, but just 917. You can go back later and read 14 through uh, 17. I'm just going to read 917 of Matthew that says, Nor do they put new wine into old bottles, old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now listen to me. The point I want to make with you is that, yes, we have a new covenant. Yes, it's fresh, but it's never changed. The Old Testament saints look forward for the Messiah, the Mashiach of God, the, the coming salvation that was going to come and deliver them from their sin nature. And we now look back on it. Notice that it says both are preserved. When you're looking at this new wine, it's referring to the old covenant and the new covenant. We're referring to and seeing the transition period of, of the law and grace, but they both abide together. Not that we're being legalistic, but how do I know I need the grace of God if I don't know that there's the law of God? The law points out that I'm a sinner. The law points out that I missed the mark. The law points to the need that I need a Savior because I see the law, and the thing that I want to do, I don't do, and the thing that I don't want to do, I do. So I need someone to save me from this wretched man that I am. I need to cry out to Jesus Christ. So the law is my schoolmarm. It's my teacher. In Galatians, he calls it, uh, uh, Paul calls it a pedagogus. It's the head servant that leads the child to school, to discipleship with Christ. Listen to me. They are both preserved. You don't get rid of the old wine. It's still perfect. It converts the soul if you can keep it because Jesus kept it perfectly. And now our souls are converted because we believe in his perfect keeping of the law. We believe that he perfectly kept it and that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And thus you shall be saved. Listen to me. He perfectly kept it. That's how our salvation came about. There's nothing wrong with the law. But Jesus 
kept it, we couldn't keep it. There was something wrong with us. We had no ability. Now, with him keeping it, if we believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth, then he takes away the penalty. No longer death is there. Now we have life. There's no more penalty because he died for us. He paid it all. He took the full wrath. Now, if we receive the Holy Spirit into our empty vessel, we have power to walk away from sin. It's power over sin. It's power over the desire of sin from the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that work, Greg? When you take the Word of God and your heart, the empty vessel, and you want to follow God, you are led by the Spirit of God, and He washes and cleanses you, and He produces fruit in your life that you can give to others. It's a really simple process, but you have to be dead to self. You have to be an empty vessel that says, wait a minute, I'm coming to this table with nothing. Because there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. It has to be spiritual children who believe by faith. They're saved by grace through faith. It's not of myself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So wait a minute, Greg. You told me to go do some works. You told me we're going to go do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go witness. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the message of the gospel. I don't have any other message. I don't have any strength of my own. All I have is the Spirit of God filling my vessel. And when I put the Spirit of God in, and then I go to look at the Word of God with a heart to obey it, then what happens, Greg? Fresh wine comes out. The joy of the Lord comes out. The new covenant comes out. A new creation is made. But if I try to do that in my own strength, it's religion. If I try to do that in my own strength, I'm going to fail. I have to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. There's no other children. Listen, no matter what anybody's ever told you, if you're not being led by the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God. And we need to wake up in this apostate world that we're living in, this culturanity that is teaching Scripture after Scripture, but teaching from what somebody else taught and not teaching from a personal relationship from God. Remember what happened in chapter 1? John the Baptist, the baptizer, I should say, because I like to say baptizer. He introduced by witnessing to others, them to Jesus. How did he do that? He said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then what happened? When they followed him, there was an invitation. Jesus said, come and see. There was an invitation. And because they followed and listened to that with obedience, there was intimacy that comes out in a love relationship. What's that do? It, pre it again creates the new wine. It creates this rest that you can have, this comfort that you can have, this, this place that you can be where you can share truth because you've been spending time with Jesus in his word. His spirit is in you. But when everything's about the world, everything's about me, then that's what comes out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. But listen, again, everything, I, I want you to see this, but this is 917, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. If I try to live under the law, I'll pop. I need to have room to grow. Because there's some growth going on when you abide in the vine. And it's like, a, it's, like it's, it, it's gotta get out. 
I mean, how can you spend time with the God of the universe and Him grow fruit in your life and you go, I'm just going to sit on the couch and not tell anybody. Listen, it's like a fire in your bosom. It's got to get out if you're spending time with God. i got to tell somebody what He's shown me in the Scriptures. There's just no way not to tell somebody when you see this. Now, when you look up the word, both are preserved, I want you to understand this. Listen, both are preserved is the word sunterio. I'm not pronouncing it right. Don't even try to quote me. It's sunterio. It's very important, but listen what it means. It means to keep closely together. Both are preserved. The Old Testament and the New, the law and grace are both preserved to keep closely together, to conserve, to conserve from ruin. Mentally, to remember to obey, to keep and to observe. It's the same. And, and, and soon, uh, it means with, and terio means obey or observe. It's the word that's used in, terio is used for obey in Matthew 28, 20. You know, where Jesus says in 18 through 20, he says, all authority. See, because it's really back to whose authority, who's your government, who's your God. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to terio, to observe, to keep closely all that commanded you and lo i'm with you always even to the end of the age listen christ obeyed perfectly for us so positionally we are saved but practically we're being washed and cleansed and we're learning to obey as we run this race we're learning to desire the things of god we're learning to run a race according to the rules because nobody gets the crown unless you run according to the rules Paul tells us when he uses the analogy of someone running a race in the Olympiad Games. Listen, so the word terio, again, is to keep closely. Both are preserved. Jesus said himself, not one jot or tittle of the law or this word will pass away until all things are fulfilled. What's my point? We're not doing away with the law. Without the law, we do not know that we need a Savior. If people don't know they're a sinner... Why would they want to listen to you about Jesus? I don't need a crutch. I'm doing great. I got a PhD behind my name. I, I've got uh, this mansion I'm living in with these five fancy cars. My kids are all in college. I'm living the American dream. Why would I need a savior? Because the Bible confines us all into sin. You have to go back to the law. What did the law do? It confined us into sin. They both need to be preserved and used together or nobody wants a savior. Thus, here comes the world and its government, and they say, everything is about sickness. You're all sick. You have ADHD. You have this and that and the other thing. Those are not sins. That's an addiction. That's not a sin. And they change the entire language so that they can steal your heart. So you start following their instruction book instead of God's instruction in righteousness. And so you've got to put your eggs in one basket and understand that you come empty. Everything that they say is suspect. Everything that God says is perfect. It converts the soul. You don't get rid of the law because you know what? If you're out there running around rebellious and you're ignoring the Holy Spirit and you're quenching the Spirit and you're grieving the Spirit and you're not being led by the Spirit, the only thing that keeps you from going completely buck wild can be the law. 
well, I don't want to murder them because the law says you shall not murder. Well, I need to quit lying because the law says you shall not bear false witness. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, the only thing you have is the law. Listen, be very careful what you're listening to that is not biblical. Both are preserved together. They're both needed. They, they, they abide contemporaneously. They abide together. But we're saved by grace. You can't perform and get saved. But how do you tell somebody else about the gospel as a witness unless you tell them the law? Serious. Here, I got the, I got the, here's the answer. Here it is. Here's the cure for cancer. I don't have cancer, dude. Get away from me. What are you, weird? No, here's the cure for cancer. I'm going to sell it to you. You can have it all you want. I don't have cancer. Get away from me. So if they don't know they're a sinner, the law, why would they listen to you about Jesus? They think they're okay. They're both preserved. Terio, sin terio, sum terio. However you pronounce it, you need to preserve them both. You need to guard them both. You need to keep a close watch on both of them in your life. But we don't live by the whole, or excuse me, by the law. The law is way below the spirit. Right? Think about it. Jesus, I mean, the law says thou shalt not murder, but Jesus said if you hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered him already. Think about how the life in the spirit is so much higher than the law. But the law's not done away with. It's just down here. It's physical. It's lower. It, it's a school marm that leads you to the grace of God. Just wanted to leave that point out there as we go into this, that you'll understand that as the transition happens, Jesus is not getting rid of the law. He's fulfilling the law. He lived it perfectly, and because he lived it perfectly, now you and I can believe that in our heart, and we can trust in it, and we can be given his perfection, his justification by faith alone, by grace alone. He's not saying, get rid of the law. But we are in a transition time because he's going to now cleanse the temple. He's going to now announce that the temple is going to be torn down because the temple now is us. We're the living stones that are being chipped away at and built together, making a holy house. And God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. A, a, a body not made with hands, but eternal in the heavenlies. He lives in our heart. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual life. Everything is about the spirit. But we don't get rid of the physical because we're right here in the physical. We can't get rid of the law either because it's what leads people to know that they actually need the medicine, if you will, the commandments, an authoritative prescription is what commandment means. An authoritative prescription for a sick soul that's sick with sin. Not with the world's definitions because they think they've got some new religion. So now, as we move from this, we're not going to put that old wine into new wineskins. We're becoming new creations, a new covenant. We're going to receive the Holy Spirit. We don't have to walk according to the law, but we're not erasing it. We're both going to be preserved, and we're going to keep a close eye on both of them together as we follow Jesus and the witnessing that goes on here. 
And what happens? It's John 2, 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and pouring out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said, him what sign do you show to us since you do these things jesus answered and said to them destroy this temple in three days i will raise it up then the jews said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days but he was speaking of the temple of his body therefore when he had risen from the dead his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which jesus had said now when he was written now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Father, we ask you to help us to understand and discern clearly how we should thus live. Open your word to us, or more importantly, open your heart to your word so we can receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. We know it's able, Lord, but it takes us cooperating with you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, John 2, 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum. I remember when I first got saved, that was Capernaum because nobody showed me. Notice he's now a teacher with his disciples with him. And that's what discipleship is about, helping people to understand, yes, even how to pronounce words. Syntax is important, but it's not the most important thing. Jesus is the most important thing. So he goes down to Capernaum. This is going to become his uh, unofficial headquarters where he hangs out. Hangs out. Um, Capernaum means uh, comfort, village of comfort. I like that. Village of comfort. That's where we should be with Jesus. Comfort and rest. Is that what your house is today? Notice who's with him. He, his mother, remember Mary, their rebellion. That's what Mary means. His brothers and his disciples. And that he did not stay there many days. I was just going to read to you because it doesn't get, even say his sisters. But in 1355 of Matthew, just in case you need to know, because somebody tells you that Mary was a perpetual virgin and never had kids other than Jesus. It says this in 1355. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these stains? So they were offended at him. Listen, be scriptural in your walk with God. 
You don't have to be quarrelsome with people, but know what the Scripture says and know what they don't say. Spend time in the Word of God and allow it to dwell in you richly so that you can be ready to give an answer to all men of the hope that is within you. So they go down there. He's with his family. Notice that. He's with these, but it doesn't say Mary again. This is the second time that it didn't say Mary because he's distancing. Last time it said that he called her woman, remember? And he's distancing because he's separating now because he is to be separated. He's a holy God. He come to earth to dwell with us, became like us so we could become like him. But now he's going to ascend back into heaven after his ministry and be seated at the right hand of the Father. And make intercession for us. He's a holy God with us. Now 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And you might see things in that. I do. The Jews had made it their Passover. It was not the Passover of the Lord anymore. It's supposed to be the Passover of the Lord. He is the one that brings salvation. The Passover festival, Exodus 12, was always about God passing over those who obeyed. Those who would listen to his instruction, remember that, the Passover, it's the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, Exodus 12. Instruction was given to Moses to give to the people. The people obey it. Then the death angel would come and kill all the firstborn. But if you put the blood over your doors, the death angel passes over you. That's what it means, to pass over. Listen, it's because they obeyed the instruction of the Lord. And, and, and the instruction right now in your heart, in my heart, in our life is to believe upon him whom God anointed as the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. That's the first instruction. But after you obey, now you're set free from the penalty so that you can practically run the race. There's still a race to one. I mean, if it was over with and nothing else to do, then God would just take us straight home. Every time we believed, he would just take us home. Believe, take you home. Believe, take you home. What else is left? Practically to be sanctified until the day that we're glorified. And in the middle of that race, as we're running and in these three parts, we're to tell others. We're supposed to be giving them fresh wine, the joy of the Lord. We're supposed to be sharing truth with them. And truth may need to start with the law. Or it may need to start with grace. James says, on some have compassion, others save with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. There's a, you, have to, you have to be led by the Spirit. You have to have discernment in which way you're supposed to be sharing with somebody. God knows their hearts. We're going to see that at the end of the text. It's not for you to figure out their heart. It's for you to share and be a, a faithful witness of Jesus Christ, to give an answer. So the Passover, I would love to go... spend a lot of time with this, but I'm not going to. You can get the um, mm, Resurrection Sunday tape. You can get a lot of things uh, where we've taught in Exodus 12. But Deuteronomy 16 is your homework. Read Deuteronomy 16. 16 uh, of Deuteronomy. Listen to this, what it says in Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place that he chooses. Where did he choose? Jerusalem. It means teaching peace. Three times a year at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is really Passover. They become known as one. At the Feast of Weeks, that's your Pentecost. It means 50, count seven weeks. That's the day the church was birthed. Uh, and Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, 
and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Now that sets the stage for what's going on. Why? Because we got a couple million. The Passover's at hand. People are traveling from long distance. They're coming to the temple. They're going to come and worship. This is the place that God has put his name, his character, his nature, his authority. He chose this, and they're supposed to be bringing offerings. They're supposed to be bringing sacrifices. They're supposed to be bringing everything that they're going to give to God at one of these three feasts. And this is the Passover that they're remembering. So it sets the stage for what is going on, why you're seeing what you're seeing. And it's became the Passover of the Jews, not the Passover of the Lord. They changed everything to fit themselves. And so, again, like I call culture entity, the church, because we've changed everything to fit us instead of changing us to fit God. Instead of us becoming like God, we've made God like us. And then we go into our churches, we go into our places, we do our things, and we feel like we're okay, but we're being deceived. We're not allowing him to, to burn away the dross. We're not allowing him to create the fruit and the new wine. And we only go as far as we want to go. Oh, I am. I've read my Bible, but. Oh, I am. I went to church, but sorting my socks this week. It's not legalism. It's not legalism. We're not talking about legalism. We're talking about intimacy. We're talking about a relationship. We're talking about a house burning down. And unless the Holy Spirit, God himself, is leading you out, you're going to stay in the flames. Because we can't see the spiritual realm. And believe me. The house is burning down as the church joins the government and joins everything else in the world. Instead of being led by the Spirit of God, we've made the physical battle, the fight that we're going to die on. This is the hill I'm dying on. Really? You should have died and crucified with Christ, and it was no longer you who lived, but Christ lives in you. In the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Be careful what battle you're in. That's why this text is so important when you come. He's saying come three times a year. This was legalism, in the, if we call it today, because it's the law. You come every day boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, the middle wall of separation is taken away. You don't have to live in the Gentiles' courts, which is where he's going to be here in a minute with all these animals, in the Gentiles' court. We can now come into the throne room and sit down and have an re intimate relationship with God and let him cleanse us. That's what was going on. That's what's going on. See, first the wedding. Hey, guys, follow me and there's going to be a wedding. Hey, guys, first you got to be cleansed. You got to be washed and cleansed. See that we're seeing it in buildings. We're seeing it in types. If you go back to the Old Testament, what do you see? You see it in a whole nation. Listen to me. It's a whole nation that he pulled out, and then he was changing them. He said, go in and kill everything. Kill off all the ites, right? They didn't do it. What happened? They fell dead in the wilderness. They went into bondage to captivity. Now he comes all the way forward. He comes to earth. He said, I will do it. I'm going to come down and interrupt their selfish lives, their, their religion, and I'm going to, the heart of God. 114, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, I'll come down. And then what does he do? He shows up. There he is. And then what does he do? 
He tells us what's going to happen, what the kingdom is about. He, he has people following him. He goes to a wedding. He does his first miracle or sign that shows us so much more about him that it's not just a miracle. Nothing hidden. He just spoke and, and, and it poured out wine and it was good. And then he goes to cleanse the temple. See, now let's bring it down into a personal love relationship. It was a nation. It was a people. It was a building. Now it's you. It's me. Do I want to go to the wedding? You're invited. You're invited to the wedding, but you have to let him cleanse your temple. How does he do that, Greg? By the washing of the water through the word. As you empty yourself out, pour the water in, full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, listen, it's not the Holy Spirit and the Word, it's the Holy Spirit. But what's the Holy Spirit going to lead you to do? Get in the Word, get in prayer, get in fellowship. Why? Because that's where God's at. That's where His revelation is at. Prayer is a place of dependency. Not in that order, word, prayer, and fellowship. I would say prayer first. Here I am, Lord. What do I do now? I, I want to be led by your Holy Spirit. Oh, well, how about reading my word and see who I am, my character, my nature, my will, what I've always been doing, how we're dealing with this. There's not, there's not a new plan. There's not, there's not really a new covenant. It's just a relationship. It's the history of what I'm doing to cleanse heaven because of one guy who, or one angel who in his covetousness wanted my throne and in his pride he rose up and he deceived a bunch of angels. And if you think he can't deceive you when he deceived angels who were in the glorious presence of God, you better wake up. It has to be a dependency in prayer upon God. And in, in prayer, he's going to say, read my word, find out what's going on. And then in that, he's going to say, go out and be a witness, fellowship with other people that are like-minded and stop chasing the world. Learn to be a witness. Learn to be discipled. But the Passover was one of the three main feasts, and that is exactly what we want in Christ. When you come to Christ, what do you want? You want to be passed over when he is at the judgment seat, and he's going, death, life, death, life. He's dividing the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tare. You want to be on the side of life right now. You don't want to get there and wait and go, was I close, God? Was I close, God? This is, not, this is not a game. This is your eternal soul. It's not horseshoes and hand grenades. We don't want to get close. We want to make sure that we're intimate with God. And it's not about impressing man. We're going to see that at the end of the text. He already knows everything. He doesn't need anybody to, to testify of who you are in your heart. He doesn't need me to tell him, Lord, I've seen him do that. He doesn't need that. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He is God all over. He already knows what's in our heart. So pretending the man is lying to God. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira. They pretended. We need to get real in a real way. And it's not just saying a prayer. We'll get to that in the text. It's actually in the text. So the Passover of the Jews, it became theirs. It's not his anymore. It even says the temple of the Jews in places. It's not God's temple anymore. When you change it, it's not his anymore. When you don't do it his way and you're not obeying, it's not God's. And now listen, I'm not trying to say, oh man, if you don't step on attack and stand there and be perfect in every way, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But 
Did you really become a new creation? Did you really believe? Are you moving in the direction of what God wants to go? Are you looking to be led? Are you saying, Holy Spirit, I need help here because I know inside of me, I'm not even looking to be led in the right direction. I know inside of me, all I'm trying to do is satisfy the lust of my flesh. All I'm trying to do is feed my own face. Listen, if you know that's you, let him turn some tables over. Let him cleanse the temple. Ask him. He's capable. So they went up. Anytime you see Jerusalem in the Bible, you'll see they went up. When you see in the Old Testament, you see high places. That was because they were trying to make places that were higher than Jerusalem, higher than God. They were putting them first. They're called elevation. It, 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 it's all these things that gets higher than Jerusalem. Elevation of the, uh, on the planet, Jerusalem is low, but you always go up to Jerusalem because it's the place of the king. It's the place of the temple. It's the place of God. It's teaching peace. That's where we should be looking to do is teach others about how they can have peace with God. Jerusalem. And what happened there? And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Actually, it says sitting in the King James instead of business. But listen, what do you mean he found them? He's gone all over. He already knew they were there. What happened with Sodom and Gomorrah? Should I tell Abraham, my friend, what I'm doing? I've come down to see if the reports about Sodom and Gomorrah are true. See, God's come down again. He came down then before when he gave us this type of destruction. The judgment is going to come upon those that forget me. And now he's down again. And he already knew what was in the temple. He already knows what's in your temple, what's in that physical temple. And he's come down and he found it to be just like it was, that the worship was all messed up, the religion was all messed up, that they honored with the lips, but their heart was far from them. And in vain they worshiped him, teaching the doctrines of the, the doctrines of men as the or excuse me, the do, teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. I'll get it right. Mark uh, seven. 6b and 7. Listen, God already knows. He knew what was there. He came down and found it to be just like he already knew it was. And then what does he do, Greg? Since he has the authority, since he is God, since this is what he came to do, he sets things right. Now, you might think this is a very ugly picture, but you know what he was doing in his grace and his mercy and his love? The same thing he did at the Tower of Babel when he confused the language. It was grace. These people are going to kill themselves if they go on this way. I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to interrupt their life. I'm going to bring some, some things in there and make them decide whether they want to keep doing this or do they want to change. Do they really want to follow me or do they want to keep doing what they're doing? That's what happened with the Tower of Babel. Split it up or they would have killed themselves. We'd have never got to Genesis 12. We'd have never got to the Abrahamic covenant. Listen to me. He comes down now and it looks like he's doing something mean, but he's really doing something good. It wasn't an outburst of wrath like, I am so sick of this. No. Notice in the text, he found it to be that way. He took time. He's braiding a whip of cords. He's not just freaking out. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. God's not freaking out on nothing. Nothing is, 
it's all the same to God. He's outside of time. He's always known everything, always will know everything. He loves us, and he's given us time. So he's sitting there braiding up these cords. He already sees it's not what, the way it's supposed to be. He knows with your life and my life everything that's not the way it's supposed to be. He knows the tables that are set up. He knows the oxen, which is beef or cattle. He knows the doves. He knows everything in your life. And he's sitting here going, I'm a very patient, long-suffering God, and I love you. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to turn some stuff upside downward in your life because I want you to repent. Not because he wants to, to, to hurt them. He wants them to learn to worship in spirit and truth. We're going to see that in chapter 4. Yeah, when he meets with a Samaritan woman. We'll see that in chapter 4. Listen, God's not mad at you. Not mad at all. He's trying to save us. He's come to bring deliverance from the sin nature. And there's a lot of tables, a lot of things that we're chasing that have nothing to do with life and godliness. And he wants to cleanse the temple and get us across the finish line and bring us into a heavenly place where we can be there adorned as his bride and celebrate with him. And then in the millennial kingdom, rule and reign with him. So he's not mad. Even though when bad things happen, he's not mad. He wants you to turn to him in prayer and then find out in his word what's going on and then tell others about that witness. We went through it. The difference is, is how did you go through it? Did you do it in comfort because you knew God was on the throne? Or did you do it freaking out, screaming and yelling because you didn't know God was on the throne? So he found it to be just like, it's right there in the temple, there's actually three different words used in this text about temple. Uh, and, and they sold. Let's, let's look at some words. I, and, and we'll be here for a minute. Sold means to barter, to sell, or to trade. It's a peddler. It's somebody who is busy. You know what busy is? Anybody know what busy means, the acronym? Being under Satan's yoke. See, if your heart and your authority and everything you're doing is about oxen, it's about, it's about these table wares and all this stuff in this world. You're under Satan's yoke because you think that God is concerned about what you have other than him. You think that he can't provide for you. You don't have to be sitting around cheating people, bartering with people, trying to make a deal with people, trying to figure out how to pay your bills. My God will supply for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus if you just allow him to fill you with your spirit and follow him. So it's a peddler. They sold. They're in there bartering, selling, and trading, trying to figure out how to, to get rich and enjoy this world. And they're under Satan's joke. Again, oxen is beef. It's ox. It's a cow. Sheep is something this. Listen, listen. This is very important. Sheep, something that walks forward. And it's a four-footed animal. Listen, if we are called sheep, we're supposed to be going forward, not backward always on the grow. We're not supposed to be going backward. It's something that goes forward, onward and upward with Christ Jesus. When you blow it, ask for forgiveness in prayer, and he washes and cleanses you. It's part of what you do. Now, you don't practice it just to be doing it, because I know that's cheap grace. That's trash. But you keep going forward, onward and upward as a sheep. You're not, you're not sitting there wallowing in it. You're not you're sitting there rehearsing the dog that bit you. Well, if I would have had a better environment, well, if I would have had two parents, well, if I would have had, well, if I would have had, listen, Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment and they disobeyed God because they listened to the wrong voice, the wrong instruction. Listen to me. Don't be a victim. That's what the world wants. Victim. I'm a victim. 
I'm a victim. Really? Of who? All the white people. It's a lie from the pit of hell. In the kingdom of God, there is no white people. There's spirits in a body. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither black or white. Listen, wake up and quit joining the world's battles and tell people about Jesus. So they're in there, and they're sheep, and, and then doves. Doves. That's pretty cool. See, my brain always goes places. See, the dove is what came down. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism in, in a dove, in a bodily form of a dove. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, means dove. The dove represents the Holy Spirit. So the doves are there. What was it that was sacrificed for Jesus on the eighth day in, 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 in Luke 2.24? His mom and them came there. They found Simeon and Anna, right? And they're bringing Jesus after she became clean because she had babies. So she's impure for two weeks or something like that. There's certain days. On the eighth day, new beginning, eight, they brought two turtle doves to sacrifice. That's why these doves are here. Notice that he's going to separate the doves. See, if you read this text and you don't spend some time in it, you don't even notice. He drives out the animals and the business and turns over the table, but then he speaks to the dove. He speaks to the dove because it's about life and tells them to stop it. Might represent the church. Probably represents those who have the spirit. And the money changers. That's those that handle coins. And they're doing business, or it says setting down, to set down, to remain, to reside. This is where they're at. This is their office. This is what they do. The Gentile court where they're at was to see other Gentiles come in and get saved. What are they doing? They started doing business there where people don't even want to come there. Well, why are they there, Greg? Well, they're there to help you. They need to help us, poor little people that have traveled for miles and miles and miles. You have to come for miles and miles and miles. Bring your animals to offer for sacrifice, bring your doves, bring your coins, your money, your offering to God. And here they would come. Many of them would just say, you know what? By the time we travel all these miles with a sheep, it's going to be messed up. They're not going to receive it. So what we'll do is we'll take our money. We'll buy a lamb when we get there. So these guys are sitting there. But a lot of them would, they'd drive their herds. They would come, they would show up. And you know what would happen? These people would rip them off. They were mafia. They were a bunch of, they were a bunch of cheaters and liars and they would say, wow, that lamb's not going to do. We're not going to approve that. It's got spots and blemishes. But you know what? We already have over here behind curtain number one, a bunch of pre-approved lambs that you can buy one. And since you don't have any others here, we're going to sell it to you at a really good and large cost. We're going to put a big price on it for you. And they did the same thing with all the animals. They did the same thing and they took advantage of these people that had traveled miles to obey God. And so people didn't even want to come and obey God because they knew they were going into a den of thieves. And they're trying to get to God, but a whole den of thieves that are merchandising keep people away from God. And that's what religion does. That's what the devil does. That's what we do even in the church today. Instead of just pointing people to the scriptures and to God and to a love relationship, we get in the way with all of our, our dress codes, with all of our books, with all of our seminars, with all of our conferences, with all of our stuff. 
to merchandise the church. Oh, but we're just trying to help them. They need a conference. They need to hear what I have to say because I've been preaching for a long time and I've got a lot of stuff to say and I've been really good expounding. And over here where I do it, a lot of people are getting saved. Really? Because of you? Did you forget the empty vessel thing? Did you forget that the pot had water in it? Did you think you were somebody? And that God's word was not enough? Did you think you needed to run interference for God? You do better to just be a witness and give testimony and point to God and let God invite them and let God create the intimacy and let God reveal himself to them instead of polluting the water to where it becomes sour grapes, wild grapes, not fresh wine, but really grumbling wine, you know? We're supposed to be wine that people would desire to have, not whining about everything. See, once you realize that God is sovereign, if you really understand your identity, there's absolutely nothing in your life that can happen that didn't come from God. Now, I didn't say he caused it. I didn't say he made it, but he allowed it in his sovereignty. And you're going... I cannot believe that tire is flat. And we go in these rage monsters. Like, no, there's a record driver getting ready to pull up that needs to hear about Jesus. His family's falling apart. His life is being destroyed, and he doesn't have a witness. And he's going to show up to a Christian, kicking his car, throwing a fit. I know Jesus, really. Why would I want to come to your church? Why would I want to believe that? Why would I want to follow Jesus? Listen to me. I'm telling you, the witness is what this is about. How we deal with life. We're all going to have flat tires. Come to my house. I'd like you to come to my house. Bring your toolbox. It it freaks me out, see, because I'm one of them guys that fixes everything. I'm a guy. I want to fix everything. But I walk around my house. My water heater's breaking. Everything. Never mind. I'm not going to give you my problems. But it's fine. Nothing is going to. Nothing. Nothing is more important than the witness of Jesus. Do I handle it well always? No, of course not. I have clay feet. Where am I at? Let's get back to this. So they're sitting there. Now, why why are they all here? Because people are coming. People are trying to obey God. People are trying to be uh, uh, faithful to God. And they show up, and there's more problem in the temple than back at their house. And these coin changers, the only, only coins they would receive is the Jewish coin or the Tyrian coin. Now, it started out the Jewish coin, but the Tyrian coin became better than even the Jewish coin. What does that, what does that mean? It had a lot of silver in them. And that's what they wanted. So you could only buy with those certain things. So now you got temple changers. You bring your money from what you were dealing with in your town. This is what we use over there because I live outside of this area. So now they've got this coinage. So I bring the, what I've got, and they go, Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, the rate on those, oh, yeah, you need three of those to get one of ours. And so then they begin to take advantage again. They're doing it with the coins. They're doing it with everything you could bring. You couldn't come and just surrender to God. You couldn't come and just go, here, Lord, this is everything I have to offer. This is the best sheep I got. This is the best coin I got. This is the best I got, Lord. I want to be emptied. 
So you had to try to follow the outward appearance of religion and be deceived and ripped off by these charlatans that are doing business. And notice it says, and we'll keep moving because I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. Your temple, my temple, listen, that's where Jesus lives now. This temple is gone. A.D. 70, it was gone because there's a transition now we, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We're being built together a holy house. Listen to me. Is your, are, you, are you allowing God to cleanse your temple? And it can only happen with the washing of the water through the Word. Holy Spirit with the Word of God and you have a heart to come and obey the Word of God. And part of obeying is confessing when you're not. Part of obeying is going, Lord, I did it again. I mean, think about it. If he tells you, listen, remember, remember Peter? He says, how many times should I, should I forgive? If I forgive my brother seven times, is that enough? He says, no, 70 times seven. Don't do the math. That's wrong. He's talking about continually. So if God tells you to forgive your brother that many times, how many times will he forgive you? He's already thrown all of our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's already paid for every bit of our sin, past, present, and future. And when you confess your sin to God, it doesn't change him a bit. It changes you. It humbles you. It reminds you that you're being washed and cleansed. So it's good to have tables turned over. Watch what he does. 15. They're sitting there doing business. Life is normal. They're going, this is our peak season. Everybody's coming. We're going to make a lot of money in this season. What's the exchange rate? Let's raise it again. Let's make gas costs more. Let's do everything we can to have power over these peons so that they can never do nothing again. They'll be totally dependent upon us. They'll all move into town. They won't live in the country anymore. They won't be able to drive. We'll move them all into these these. Did you guys hear about that place that's building a, Saudi Arabia is building a 75 mile long apartment complex? All one building. 75 miles long. I was like, yeah, that's the house. Animals. People. Who builds a building? Can you imagine doing the electrical wiring on there? <laughs> There's electricians in the room. That's the reason I said that. When he had made a whip of cords. Now listen, it means to make or do. He took his time. Listen, I want you to understand this. God is not mad. You and I, we fly off the handle. You and I, we have outburst of rage. You and I, we can actually, well, some of you don't. But listen, we can see something going on. We can find things not in the order that they're supposed to be that we thought they were going to be when we come home from work or whatever we do, and we can lose it. But notice, he already knew what was going on. He's given time. He's taken this rush, rushlings. It's, it's like weaving a basket, and he's making this whip. It's not to damage anything. It's not to hurt anything. It's kind of like I use the, the prod to get the horses to go out. I'm not trying to hurt the horses. They could turn on me and run over me. All I'm trying to do is get them to go another way. And, and listen, that's all God's trying to do. He can put a bridle in your mouth and jerk you around. Or he can drive you out of the temple. Now listen to me. He wants you to come and cooperate in your sanctification, in your cleansing. And it not to be painful to get you out of the vessel. 
Listen to me, because this is how you're going to tell what's going on. Are you following close behind? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Or do you feel like you're being driven? See, because he's driving out what's not supposed to be there. But you can be cooperating, and it still feels like you're following. You're enjoying your relationship. You're new wine. You're fresh. Or when it starts to get like, life is just driving me. This is not enjoyable because I'm being driven. It's because it's called bondage. These money changers, they were charging interest like your mortgage. Mortgage means death grip. It's bondage. That's what mortgage means. Is that right? Death grip. Had it in my notes somewhere. Who cares? Uh, it's not good. It's bondage. We all have mortgages. It's one of the things that you can have. It's okay. But don't forget that it can become bondage. And you can say, I got to be driven to do this so that I can do that. And then it makes you make decisions that you shouldn't be making because God's not first. God should be before your mortgage. God has to be before everything. That's why he wants to drive things out that are controlling your life that's not the Holy Spirit leading your life. So he takes his time. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And then he poured out their chargers, their money, and turned over their tables. See, we need some stuff turned over. We need some stuff. If you're not going to say, Lord, this is in my heart. It stinks. I know I keep doing it. Get it out. How do I do it? You've given me the power. You paid for it. You've given me the power. You want to lead me to your throne room? Listen to me. What tables does he need to turn over in your life today? We all know there's tables. That's the office. That's his little desk that they sit at. But notice, when he turned them over, notice 16. Then he spoke. Then he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. An emporium is the Greek word. A place where trade is carried on. A mart. What needs to be turned over in your life? Again, don't whine because things are going on in your life. Cry out to God and allow him to create new wine so you can gush out on others and they can see the fruit of a child of God that's living for God. But he spoke to those who sold doves, those that were, again, the same word, bartering, selling, trading, peddling with the doves. And he said, take these things away. Do you want to cooperate with his voice? Take these things away. Oh, you know what they are. He's been pointing them out. He's been convicting. He's been speaking. Or we can wait for him to drive them out. 
He's faithful. He's going to complete the work he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. So now, as children of God, we're back into the house of God, representing the kingdom of God. And what is your house? What's in your house? What kind of merchandise is your heart still hanging on to? This is where the statement, the tables have turned, comes from. I'm just being funny. You ever say that, the tables have turned? Listen, don't we want them to turn? Salvation. Don't we want them to turn? If we are busy about the wrong things, being under Satan's joke, and we got our tables full of all of this stuff that has nothing to do with God, and God comes down... He meets with us. He interrupts our life. He turns them over and he says, take these things away. Don't we want that to happen now? Or do you want to wait for the throne room? That's going to be a bad time because it's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. You're not going to have any chance to take them away later. But right now he can take them out of your life. He's giving that, that time with the Holy Spirit and the word of God and fellowship to remove these things from your house, your spiritual house. And what happened in 17? Then his disciples, those that were pupils, those that were learning, those that were following close behind, they remembered that it was written, Psalm 69.9, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Listen, this is not anger. It's righteous indignation and salvation. This is what salvation looks like. If God doesn't come down and interrupt, you and I don't even know we're lost. If he doesn't come down and tell us and meet with us and say, hey, you're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If he doesn't say that and interrupt us in our house, we never know it. and We go headlong into death. We're actually in a culture right now where you can ask young people and they've never heard Jesus. Now, when I first got saved 25 years ago, there was a lot of people, you'd say, you hear about Jesus, they'd all say yes. But now you can literally ask people and they go, no. And they're not very receptive to even want to hear about it. And once again, it's a thing of the Spirit. You can't make people get saved. You can't make people allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse their temple. You cannot legislate holiness but we can encourage people that there's more here. There's more here. If you'll start reading, you'll look at it. The gospel is hidden all over the Old Testament. The gospel is hidden all over the gospel. It's so deep and wide. It's, it's just like the love of God, the hype, the, depth, the, the, the hype, the length, the depth, and the breadth of his love for us. If you'll spend time in it and it becomes an intimate thing where you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it begins to build up this wine. You don't know how it happened. Have you ever been sharing with somebody? I have many times. And say something. I didn't even know I knew that verse. But you speak right into their darkness. And they know that God spoke to them. And now they got to walk away with their conscience. And they got to deal with the word of God. 
But you can, you, can be, you can have a conversation with them, too, about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or some political thing, and they can walk away angry, mad, and frustrated and, and, and feeling defeated and go on to hell. Because politics ain't going to save them. The government ain't going to save them. Only the government of God is going to last. Only the word of God is going to last. Only should we be preserving both of these and not the governments. The worldly government is evil. The Bible tells us clearly in 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness, the wicked one. Zeal, 18. Now notice this. I want you to understand this because it seems like there's a different culture going on. Did you hear Jesus ask them a question? Because 18 says, so the Jews answered. Wait a minute, I didn't, hear him, I didn't hear him say something to him. So these Jews answered and said to him, it means to conclude for oneself and to respond. See, his actions, your actions, speak louder than words. What you do, how you live, the witness you are is going to make people have questions. It's going to make them thirsty. His actions and his spoken word, what he said out loud, made them ask. And what they ask? They ask about his authority. Jews answered and said to him, What sign, what miracle do you show us since you do these things? Where do you get your authority to walk into our temple? Listen, now you can go into this several different ways. Because if you're talking about your heart and you say, Who are you to question God? who made you and formed you and fashioned you. You're in a bad place if you start to question and, and, and ask God why he created you. I didn't ask to be created. That's a bad place to be. But they ask him about authority because he came in as one with authority to cleanse the temple. Is God? Does Jesus have the authority in your life or something else? Are you the authority? You're not the boss of me. I'm the authority here. Are you still the authority or are you an empty vessel? Is the Holy Spirit leading your life or are you? Oh, is something else leading your life? Maybe you got some tables set up and that's guiding. When I get here or here, when I get to retirement, when I get this amount of money in my account, when I do this, I'm good. Is this leading your life? What is the authority of your life? Is it the government? Listen, there's so many things that can be our authority, but there's only one authority. There's only one government. There's only one God. And he's come down to interrupt us and to save us from ourselves. Because you're your own and I'm my own worst enemy. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, different word. This is a different word than the previous word for temple. But it still can be translated temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Who raised Jesus up? He did. Speaking of the resurrection, we know. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Now listen, we're in the temple. Passover is at hand. We're supposed to be focusing on spiritual things. And all they're concerned about is the physical things. He's speaking of resurrection. They're speaking of, dude, you just turned over our money. Dude, you just chased our animals off. Dude, you just messed with my livelihood. And where is you getting your authority? And he's trying to speak into your life right now. 
and you're arguing with his word. You're arguing with what he's saying. You're saying, this is not right. And you don't want to cooperate with him cleansing the temple. And you're staying fixed on physical things. And he's trying to bring us over that you're a spiritual person. You're a spirit in a body. You're not a body with a spirit. You are a spirit that's going to live somewhere forever. And only he can decide that because he knows your heart. But they're still arguing in the flesh, as many of us do. They're still going, dude! See, because now we know that Herod's been working on the temple. It's taken 46 years to do. He's not talking about the physical building. Had they been concerned about spiritual things, they would have eyes to see and ears to hear what he was saying to the church, what he was saying to his own people. Had they not created their own religious system, when he came, they would have not crucified him. But he already knew that was going to happen. That was the purpose he came for. Of course, we get the commentary here in 21. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. On this side of resurrection, we know that he rose on the third day. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead. Now, remember that word. the word risen from the dead is to stand back up again, stand up from sleep, stand up from death. But it means, listen, it means this. Through the idea of collecting one's faculties. See, because we're supposed to rise in Christ. Are you collecting your faculties? Are you still setting up tables? Are you still following some other authority? Or are you collecting your spiritual faculties and knowing that we're not considered anything as flesh and blood anymore? Everything is spiritual, spiritual in nature. No matter what's going on, God knew it was going to go on in your life. How do you deal with it with a heavenly perspective, with spiritual wisdom? How do you apply the Word of God to it? Listen, perilous times are here and they're going to get worse. Don't let fuel prices dropping lull you to sleep to think things are going to come back to normal. It's not. It's not happening. Go read Daniel 7.23. It's not happening. Or many places in the Bible. I'm not going to quote them all. But when he had risen, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And what happened then, Greg? And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. See, through his resurrection, you can see the scriptures more clearly. You can hear his word more clearly. And then you can believe. It's the word pistio, 4100 in the Strong's. It means to entrust your spiritual well-being into something, in this case, into the Messiah of God, the anointed of God. It means to commit. It means to trust. It means to believe. And then it's acquainted to the other word, pistio, that is to have a constancy in it, where you're constantly growing in your faith. You're constantly believing. You know that this is the truth, and it's you that has to change, not the Word of God. Yet we let people change the Word of God, and then we go, I like what he said about the Word of God better because it fits my flesh. It fits what I'm at, where I'm at, and I can just stay here. But see, he wants to take you higher. He wants to take you forward. He wants you to be going forward, not backward. 23. And when he was in Jerusalem, now we're still there, Passover, during the feast, many believed, same word, pistio, they entrusted. But what did they believe in? His name. Why is that important? 
salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus means the Lord is salvation. But what's the name mean? Onema. Onoma? I don't know. Greek? It means his character, his nature, his will. It means his authority. See, what authority, they ask. And he's telling you the authority is in his name. He has all authority. He's God. It's telling us a sign of, of who he is. He's speaking. He's coming down. He's flipping tables over. It's their temple, not his temple. Even though he gave them the design, they followed their own design. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Now, you can look at this, but Jesus did not look at the word commit. That's the first definition of pistio, to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. Now we're looking at it from God's perspective. He didn't commit to people just because they said they believed because of signs. See, signs and wonders, miracles do not produce saving faith. Oh, they produce entertainment. They produce, they produce an awe, but signs don't produce saving faith. It's, it's, it's a weak faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word hearing means hearing with a, an attention to obey. That's where faith comes as you follow, as you've been introduced, as you, you begin to get the invitation and you're following in intimacy. That's where faith comes from. And you see him in your life. You're acquainted with him. You're listening to his voice. John 10, 27, my sheep, or I, uh, uh, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Listen, he did not commit himself to them. Why not, Greg? Because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. Listen, of course, this shows that he already knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows what's in your temple. He knows what tables need to be flipped over. He knows what needs to be cleansed out. He knows what's flesh and he knows what's spirit. But here's another thing that it shows. There's absolutely no reason for an altar call in a church. There's no reason for spiritual calisthenics where people walk up and they, they show off before people and, and they do those things. And, and I get in trouble for this. I don't believe in altar calls because if you want to live for Jesus, the power is there, the sacrifice is there, everything is there for you to do that. All you need to do is begin to follow him. Ask him. What does he say in Luke eleven thirteen? 13? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? He wants to fill your empty vessel with His Spirit. And all you have to do is start walking after Him. Get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship. Begin a relationship. All have been called. Few are chosen. The gate wide for destruction and many will follow it. But the path to life, narrow. Few find it. That's there for a purpose. He goes on to say in chapter 7 of Matthew that many will say into that day, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will say, I never knew you. There was no intimacy. There was no following. There was no listening. There was no obeying. You didn't let me cleanse your temple. See, he doesn't need you and I to testify, Lord, I'm humble. I'm here right now humbly following you, and I'm doing this, so can you just make sure that my rent gets paid? 
He doesn't need us to testify of man. He created us. He spoke us into existence. He breathed into dirt. He's God all over. What he needs for us to do is to come to him and stop pretending and allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit and wash us and cleanse us with his word through the Holy Spirit. And we need to go and let others taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good to his people. And he loves us. And, and even when we go through things, tables are being flipped over. Things are breaking. Things go wrong. You lose your job. You don't, those things don't matter. I know it sound, feels like your world's a little, but God's got you. He loves you. He knows how to take care of you. And if you get your eyes off of him, it's not good. It's not good. But we need to invite him to come into our temple and turn over some tables. Amen? It's interesting. This is one of the... Oh, one of the things that's mentioned in the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. And I thought it was interesting. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus does this twice. Do you remember that? He cleanses the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and if you actually study it out, at the end of his ministry. This one, uh, at the beginning. But there's going to be another one. When we see him face to face, it says we'll be like him. That's when he completely cleanses the temple. So you don't have to be perfect until you see him face to face, and he perfects you perfectly. That's the second cleansing. This is, a, this is more of a theological uh, uh, um, spiritual book in, in the sense that way John is writing so that we can see more about God. Not just his interactions, but he come down and walked with us. Uh, are you willing to walk with him? That's what Adam and Eve were doing until they decided they didn't want to listen to his voice. Until they decided that there was other tables they wanted to set up in the garden. Empty vessels that need water in them because we're on our way to a wedding. Are you preparing yourself for the wedding supper of the Lamb? The only way to prepare yourself is to surrender to Jesus and to allow His Holy Spirit to wash and cleanse you. Don't be like a foolish virgin. When the sound was heard, five had oil and five didn't. Remember that? Matthew 24, we talked about it last week. He said, give us some of your oil. No, then we wouldn't have enough for ourselves. Go and buy some. And while they were gone, merchandising, money changing, the door was open, the bride went in, and the door was closed. Open to us. Too late. Today's the day for salvation. Delivered from the sin nature that keeps following everything else. And doesn't surrender to God Almighty. Are you in the way with him? Are you listening to the baptizer and, and to John's witness? Have you received the invitation? It's time for intimacy with God. Let him wash and cleanse you. Lead you across the finish line as a bride adorned for the wedding. 
Father, thank you for our kinsman redeemer who came to save. Lord, we even thank you that he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And we want to commit ourselves to your authority, to your character, your nature, and your will. And we want to make Israel jealous that they see us serving their God. Lord, teach us how to be witnesses. Lord, help us to surrender and allow you to fill us to overflowing. Lord, turn over some tables if we're hard-hearted and resistant. Lord, speak to us and allow your Holy Spirit to help us remove these things from our lives, to take these things away, and not to make our Father's house a den of thieves. We want to be clothed in your righteousness when we get to the wedding supper and not be asked to leave. Wake us up, Lord. Give us a desire to follow you. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. The Lord bless you. Is this thing still on? And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?